0: Welcome to the Gospel Revealed Podcast. My name is Michael, your host and teacher. Here at the Gospel Revealed Podcast, we teach the Bible for you to understand God's Word. As a result, you will grow in your faith. It's the start of 2024 and I want to share a message I preached last November at Kelso Evangelical Church here in Scotland. Matthew chapter 5 to 7 have teachings of Jesus often referred to Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 16, I tackled these verses but my focus was the Beatitudes. The message that I preached is called The Blessed Life in the Kingdom. Let's go over to the message. The reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. This is someone on the mountain. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lest you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Thanks for having me here this morning, as you've all heard, I'm Michael, um, well I live in Edinburgh and i um, been there for about almost 20 years now, I'm part of Hope City Church, I'm a dad and a husband, and my wife's not here today because she's serving in our, in our local church and I'm kind of like, I'm part of a group called the Edinburgh Preaching Group so we sort of support other churches preaching and um, just bringing the word. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning and I'm glad that um, I can bring the word here. We're starting a series on uh, Matthew um, Gospel. There is a big teaching I believe you know from Matthew chapter five to seven. It's often called Salmon on the Mount, the greatest salmon preached by our Lord. So we're gonna kick off that series this morning and my task is to cover 16 verses you know when they told me this i just wondered like one beatitude is a salmon on its own so hopefully i won't be too long about 20 to 30 minutes we're gonna cramp everything and uh, i've got lots to say but um, hopefully um yeah we get something out of it so and um, before we begin let me pray father thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we have the privilege to gather here this morning to hear your word. And through your word, we can be changed, we can be transformed. I ask, Father God, that you will bless the time together. You will speak to us through your word and by your spirit. You know each and every person here, Lord. You touch their hearts, Lord. And that this word that I'm bringing, Lord, it will bless them. Help me to speak, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, to become a British citizen, there are certain expectations for the foreign individual. You'll take a test called a life in the UK test and you will swear an oath to the reigning monarch. And for us, now we have King Charles. In the United Kingdom, there are certain values that are expected by the person to agree exhibits to become a British citizen. If you don't have that then you will not become a British citizen. These are values such as democracy, the rule of law, individual liberty and mutual respect and tolerance of faiths and beliefs. However, this morning we are going to look at, at a far greater kingdom which is the kingdom of God and the king is Jesus Christ. We are going to be looking at the values or norms to live in this kingdom. It's the expectation of who are part of the kingdom. And if you just um, listen to the reading that I've, uh, I've just done here, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 16, it's it's um, referred to someone on the mount. So we've got two points to cover those 16 verses. So the first one is kingdom qualities of a disciple, and kingdom qualities of a disciple as a witness to the world. So let me give you a bit of a context. The Gospel of Matthew, the message of Matthew basically, is to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, and his original audience would have been Jewish people. And so the way he did that is, if you go through the book of Matthew, you will see constantly, there are Old Testament prophecies and that is Matthew is trying to convince the Jewish people that Jesus Christ is that Messiah that has been promised in your scripture our Old Testament scripture is their own scripture so constantly Matthew was proving that point. but then also if you go to chapter one you'll notice that Matthew gives this genealogy And he's tracing Jesus back to David that Jesus is the son of David and so here he's driving on the point that Jesus is that king the long-awaited messiah and that's what he was trying to prove to his audience but also to us as well and we know that John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord that was also a prophecy in the Old Testament that one like Elijah and the spirit of Elijah will come and prepare the way of the Lord. And he came and he preached, and he says people to repent, to turn away from their life and be ready for this coming Messiah. But also Jesus preached the gospel message about the kingdom of God. And so therefore to get into the kingdom, you need to turn away from your old life. The Bible word is repent of your sin and believe. We see that in Matthew 4, 17. But also in 18, Jesus saw those fishermen and he called them. And when he called people, it's for them to follow him. It's total commitment to the king, to the king's rule in his kingdom. Also, Old Testament prophets such as Ezekiel spoke about God will give his people new hearts and he will put his spirit in them. And so, therefore, this kingdom that we are talking about is a kingdom of transformed hearts. It's a kingdom of changed hearts. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so Jesus spells out his kingdom of changed hearts. The people in this kingdom, their state has been established by being changed by God through Christ. It's based on God's grace. Not on anything a person had done. However, they will strive to exhibit these qualities, which are the norms of the kingdom. It's the good life. It's a work in progress with the help of the Holy Spirit. Their attitudes, actions and affections are complete opposites to the world. As a result, they are blessed people. Christians will exhibit these qualities, they will strive for it, but also recognize that they will fall far short of living up to it. And so, if we look at the first couple of verses, this sermon, one thing that we need to know that it was directed at Jesus' disciples, what's expected of them. But in the case of the crowds, it was a pronouncement. They were there were those who are curious as well about Jesus. But also there were others who were there for other reasons. And that could be the same for you here this morning. You may be a follower of Jesus. Then the expectation from the king is for you to be a committed follower. But for those of you who are curious or willing to explore faith, then maybe this morning your life will be transformed. And that's my prayer for you this morning. And so let's take the first part. Kingdom qualities of the disciples. And for that, <clears throat> I'm going to split it into two. Attitudes before God and attitudes like God. So attitudes before God, it's going to be like the first four beatitudes. So Jesus said that those who have these attitudes are blessed. But what does it mean by that? You know, oftentimes when people speak about being blessed, they think about external things, about material things. You see people talk about blessings like, oh, I've got a new job. I've been married. You know, I've got more material wealth. I've got earthly things. But actually, that's not true blessings, according to the Bible, but also what Jesus means. So what is Jesus referring to that those who are part of this kingdom are blessed? The Greek word means fortunate or happy. Basically, you have received favor from God. It's an inner state of contentment and a deep-filled joy that cannot be shaken by trials, tragedy, poverty, persecution, or grief. Precisely, Jesus is saying it's a status of spiritual well-being and prosperity. They have been blessed by God and will be rewarded by God. So in this sermon, Jesus gives the hallmarks of his kingdom of changed hearts. His true followers are blessed because they are favoured by God and they will live the good life with a happy soul. I must say this is an upside-down kingdom. So firstly, let's take the first beatitude, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is a realization and acceptance of the true state of spiritual bankruptcy. The person is humble to see their true self that they have nothing in themselves to please God. This is the true state of every person on planet earth. Why? Because we are all sinners. Sinners caused us to be full of pride and blinded us of our true state. Many have moral self-esteem or self-righteousness, thinking that they can be accepted by God. Jesus illustrated this really well. In Luke 18 verses 9 to 14, he tells us the parable of a Pharisee and tax collector. And in that parable, Jesus says that the Pharisees and the tax collector went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisees, these people are elitist religious people that believe that they are set apart. They're very self righteous. And when he was praying, he says, God, I thank you that I'm a good person. I tithe weekly, I fast, and I'm not like the tax collectors and the sinners. But then when the tax collectors, they were the worst of sinners in their own society. They see them as they are unclean but also they are the worst of the worst and when this tax collector prayed he cannot even speak, he just beats his chest to realise there is nothing else before God and Jesus says in that parable that the one that went home justified was the tax collector, why? because he had a true realisation of his spiritual status But in the case of the Pharisees, he came with his own moral, kind of righteousness and self-righteousness, thinking that he can please God. And that's not the case. That's not how you enter the kingdom. The prophet Isaiah speaks of lowly and humble, and that's how God grants salvation. It's a deep sense of repentance. The reward for the actual self-realization of spiritual poverty is entrance to the kingdom. That's why it says, for there is the kingdom of God, but also an ongoing state of mind. There is nothing we can offer God except a true heart of unworthiness. Isaiah 62, 66, sorry, verse 2, the second part. It says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Secondly, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. So this is not talking about grieving at the passing of a loved one. Jesus was referring to great sorrow for personal sin, but also sin around the person. The truth is, you know your spiritual status that you are spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing in yourself to give to God, and therefore you hate your sin and mourn over it. Do you take your sin seriously? If you are honest, it's something that we often just rationalize. We sweep it under the rug and just move on. We sort of excuse ourselves. If we have been changed by God, it's something that we should take seriously and grieve over it. The way we grasp the seriousness of our sin is when we have an awareness from knowing the one who is pure and holy. The prophet Isaiah was a righteous man in his day. However, he had a vision of God's throne. The accounting is in, in, in Isaiah's sins. Isaiah had this incredible vision of God sitting on His throne high and lifted up. It says His trail filled the temple, and you see these angelic beings. These are seamless beings are saying holy, 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 and they cannot even look at God. They had two wings that cover their faces, and yet still even though they are sinless beings, they cannot look at God. That's how much holy God is. And so he had this vision. He was exposed to the holiness of God. He was able to see his sinfulness, but also that of the people. And so therefore, when a person looks at the mirror of God's holiness and purity, then they can see the blackness of their sin and that of this world, the beauty of it all. Because of our status in Christ, we are not condemned, but comforted. Our high priest intercedes for us, and the Holy Spirit comforts us. You see, we are sorrowful because of our sin, but we know the joy of our Lord as we trust in Christ. And that's the good news. Jesus continues with the third Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are the meek, Meekness is a controlled desire not to act against mistreatment and injustices, but to trust that God will defend and reward you. And you know the truth is, meekness is not a desired virtue by people of the world. The world promotes a different type of virtue. It's more of survival of the fittest. That's how it is. But like I told you earlier on, we live in an upside-down kingdom. The world tells us survival of the fetus, Jesus is telling us something entirely opposite. He said we should meek. But the truth is meekness is true strength, it's actually strength under control. If you check out Psalm 37, I was summing up that that psalm, is about meekness. And if you go through the verses, so verse 3 tells us to trust in the Lord, verse 4 says we should delight in the Lord. Verse 5 says we should commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7 says be still and be patient for him. And verse 8 says refrain from anger. That's what it is to be meek. But then verse 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance peace. It's not an easy thing to do, to be meek. But that's what we've been called to do. It's us exercising that trust in God. And Jesus gives the same rewards for the meek as Psalm 37. The meek is content. And the mindset of a meek person is focused on the future with an eternal perspective. They believe and trust God for their future inheritance. That's what it's all about. Psalm 37 was even speaking about something temporal. But then in the case of what Jesus was referring to it was something of an eternal perspective. When you and I are meek, we are actually trusting God, that God is all wise. And we look to him, that he will grant us the right thing. And the other thing that we can look at as well, being meek, is us knowing that the planet, planet Earth, heaven, belongs to us. And so those who are even enjoying what's on Earth... Are being wicked, actually, we know that we know their destination and we know our future, and that's what it means to be meek. But then we take the fourth beatitude, we'll get in there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are poor in spirit, sorrowful over personal sin and corporate sin and the meek before God and man, will certainly have certain affections. If you hate sin and unrighteousness, then your affections and desires will be for righteousness. The longings for fellowship with God, the desire is for holiness, but also justice for the oppressed. This righteousness is not speaking about our legal status of justification but the fruit of a changed heart, which is the fruit of a justified status. So let me ask you a question again. Do you hunger and thirst for the things of God that is in line with his will? I don't know if you know this famous preacher of the last century, Dr. Lloyd Jones. He preached in London for over 30 years at Westminster Chapel. He says this, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If not, it is not then you had better examine the foundations again. It's very challenging what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, but it's true. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight in God, He will order your desires rightly, which are godly ones, and you will be filled and satisfied. So those who have such attitudes before God In other words, they are humble before God. They are poor and lonely in spirit, mourn over their sin and around them. They are meek and hunger for righteousness. With these qualities, they will resonate God's characters. So their attitudes will be like God. So we've just looked at the Beatitudes that says, these, these are attitudes before God. And so therefore, if we have those attitudes, we will be like God. So I'm going to take this, the, the bottom section of the Beatitudes. Attitudes like God. It says, blessed are the merciful. Jesus expects his disciples to be merciful. Mercy is to be compassionate to the helpless and haunted. The source of... Their mercy derives from their experience of mercy. God shown mercy to sinners who face eternal death. It's a constant theme in the Bible. God through Christ, when we are powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Disciples are merciful to the weak and powerless because they recognize their post-spiritual state and the mercy God granted them. Jesus in Matthew 10, 42, he says this, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. That's what it is to be merciful. That's something like even our Christian brothers, even to poor people. That is true religion, I think James tells us. It's for us to be merciful, we've been impacted by the mercy of God. So those who are merciful will be shown mercy. The next one, blessed are the pure in heart. <coughs> the natural heart of man is deceitful, that's what Jeremiah tells us. Jesus also tells us from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder and all sorts of immorality. But then here Jesus is saying that we should be pure in heart but this is in the case of those with transformed hearts they are pure in mind and motives their focus is to please God who only sees the heart but the question is what do you do with bad thoughts or impure thoughts does God expect perfection to satisfy him I think it's about the deep intentions of the person and are they comforting with ungodly things? Do you repent and strive for pure and honorable things? Our thoughts are renewed when we meditate and conform to the word of God. Romans 12 1-2 tells us that do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The one who hungers for righteousness will be filled with righteousness, therefore their heart disposition will be mainly pure. And that's how you have pure hearts. The things that you're focused on, you will think about them more. So if you focus on the things of God, then you will have a heart disposition. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So the promise is, those who are pure in heart will see the pure and holy one. It's the most glorious promise to see God. Because God is so holy. If we are not holy, through Christ, Our status is holiness, and so therefore, we walk through our salvation, which theologians call sanctification, and that is the process of being holy. And so if you walk in holiness, then you're walking towards seeing God. But obviously, if you're not, then you need to examine yourself. And the next one, blessed are the peacemakers these are people who promote peace jesus christ is the ultimate peacemaker the bible refers to him i think it's isaiah it says he's the prince of peace don carson a new testament scholar says this he makes peace between god and man by removing sin the ground of alienation he makes peace between man and man both by removing sin and by bringing men into a right relationship with God. Those who are peacemakers, <coughs> they've experienced the peace of God, which is from God. As a result, they became peacemakers. So, two ways we can be peacemakers. The first one is to preach the gospel, which is the gospel of peace. That is something that all of us can do in our daily lives. So, when you preach this gospel, the gospel of peace, this then potentially brings peace between that individual and God, because there is this alienation between God and man when you're not in Christ. Secondly, we can be peacemakers by diffusing a tense situation and to seek a positive solution solution in a conflict. So let me give you an example how you can diffuse a situation, a tense situation. I remember a number of years ago at my workplace, sort of like um, an hospital setting, and I had my break. I had a a short break. It was actually about 15 minutes, but I had a meeting in a cafe with someone. But then the the meeting went over time, I think about 5-10 minutes. So in my return, my supervisor was so tense. And she called me into the office and she slammed the door, Michael, why are you so late? You went over your time and she was shouting and screaming and I just said, okay sorry about that. What happened was the meeting went over time and I said, by the way, my next break, which is about 30 minutes, I'm just going to cancel that. How about that? And she was taken aback by that. I says, okay then, well, I didn't mean to well, do that again, and all the rest of it. But then that tense situation, I could have been defensive, and says, don't you shout at me like that. And then that could have just escalated, you know. But that's how we do it. Maybe she caught me on my good day. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how we can practically do be peacemakers. Romans 12, 18 if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone the reward for this characteristic we are called sons of god disciples reflect the character of jesus the son of god who is our example we are almost there and the next one is blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness this beatitude is different it's not something that a disciple do but rather a result of who they are of the life they are living and persecution can be a a different level from place to place and the time in history you know we've got brothers and sisters Part in the world that are going through serious persecution and we've got the privilege here to meet on a Sunday without any persecution if you take countries like such as China they won't be able to worship like this let alone even having a Bible maybe you're reading your Bible on the bus on the train I don't think that's allowed but then there are so much other intense persecution but in the case for us here living in the West persecution will look something like this For instance, at your workplace, you refuse to engage in gossiping others. It could be that a colleague also asked you to help them cover up their tracks. Because of righteousness, you refuse to lie or gossip. As a result, your fellow colleagues find you irritating and even become hostile towards you as a form of persecution. This reward is the same as the entrance. To the kingdom the blessings are heavenly and spiritual blessings therefore those who are poor in spirit confirmed their righteousness in their persecution and shows that they are sons and daughters of god Believe our at odds in the world and then if we go to verse 11 which is a continuation of verse 10 it gives specifics of the persecution Jesus says insult, persecute and revile you, your work colleagues, neighbours or family could persecute you. Jesus made the point of an account of him. And so this righteousness of life is, 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 is an imitation of Jesus. It's quite intense. But then with such hostile response to your life Jesus tells us to do the most unusual thing you see you expect to rejoice when you have a baby a grandchild married a new job or a house but Jesus says in this case when you're persecuted you should rejoice sort a strange thing to do but then I think we can go back to the whole point of being blessed that it's an inner state of mind that despite what you're going through on the outside you are at peace because God is for you and actually his original disciples walked this out you know he had the 12 disciples who became apostles and they had this immense persecution but also what Jesus commanded them they actually lived it out you see in the book of acts if you read through peter and 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 um john and paul you see how they're persecuted but they actually responded exactly what jesus said they should rejoice after serious persecution they received some flogging in Acts 5 i'm gonna read verse 42. this is what it it says then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of that is so strange. After they've received serious flogging and then they rejoiced. Have us a grasp of the gospel and who God is and the future glory that God has secured for us in Christ. <coughs> Paul picks up this thing in a state of persecution. It tells the Philippians he was in prison. I'm gonna read the first couple of verses. Philippians 4 verses 4 and 5, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The attitudes before God and the attitudes like God are kingdom qualities of a disciple. These attitudes, affections, and actions will shine brightly as a witness to the world. And so, the final section, Kingdom qualities of a disciple as a witness to the world. Those who are disciples of the kingdom and have humble attitudes before God and display attitudes like God, these attitudes are not supposed to be lived in isolation. This kingdom lifestyle should believe in this present earthly kingdom. Jesus gives two vivid pictures of how they can be a witness to the world, with the attitudes mentioned in the preceding verses. So firstly, he said, you are the salt of the earth. Two subjects of the kingdom are moral preservation and positive influence on the world. You see, salt in the ancient world, they are used to preserve meat and many other foodstuffs. So what is Jesus saying? Without his disciples, the world will go rotten. They preserve and influence the world with those attitudes. As a result, they are blessed, but also bless the world around them. Pure salt cannot lose its saltiness. However, the point Jesus was making is that the disciple that loses his distinctiveness is useless. Possibly that person is not even a disciple. Anyway, second picture it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Our modern cities are full of lights, but not so in the ancient world. At night, it's black. Light will make all the difference in a darkness. Our attitude will be will be an enlightenment to a spiritually dark world. Darkness is a symbol of evil, and that a little light is needed, especially in our want to And if that's absent or hidden, it's harmful. Therefore, a lamp that gives little light should not be hidden. The light of the disciples which other attitude should shine in a dark and immoral world. The light should be good deeds that bring glory to God. The world will recognize that they are children of God. As kingdom people in this world, be patient, humble, and gentle to your neighbors, colleagues, friends, and family. At the same time, be bold in proclaiming the gospel, speak the truth in love, and stand up for righteousness. Amen. Be meek, but also bold in righteous living. We are sons of God and servants of the Lord, to be a light to the nations. So we almost finished. Do you think these qualities or attitudes are evident in your life? The expectation is not perfection but that you are a work in progress. Remember it's through grace that you are saved and the full of your status is evident in these attitudes. So I urge you strive for these attitudes and God by his Holy Spirit will help you. Colossians 1.12-13 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. If you're here this morning and you're wondering if this is possible for you to exhibit these qualities, but at the same time your thoughts are, I want to be a follower of Jesus and live the blessed life, when none of us are qualified or able to do this, every one of us need to come to Christ to be forgiven. He is gracious to forgive us. To be forgiven is to turn away from our old ways. The Bible calls this sin. To turn away is to repent of your sin and turn to Christ for salvation, to believe in him, and come into the kingdom. That is the good news of the gospel. There is this great verse in second Corinthians chapter five verses second Corinthians 5:21. It's like the greatest exchange. It says, God made him who had no sin to be seen for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who is God became incarnate lived a perfect life in his active obedience, but then also he willingly laid down his life for sinners, for those who have rebelled against God, for those who are enemies. He took upon himself, and he became that sacrifice, that lamb. God judged him so that those who are sinners, as you put your trust in him, you will be made righteous. And that is the good news, and that you don't have to face the judgment that God will give to those who have rebelled. The blood of Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And he's the king who laid down his life for his people. He was punished, dead and buried on the third day. God raised him. He's alive. I urge you, trust in him and you will have eternal life and you'll have this blessed life i'm talking about that inner state of joy and peace Mm -hmm. jesus is a strange king he's the king that laid down his life He's the lion and the lamb you will never find a king who would lay down his life for his own subjects Mm -hmm. but here's a king for you this morning Mm -hmm. and so in closing the king came 2000 years ago and will return those who are his people should live as those who are blessed by God and as his favour. It's just that the blessing is delayed in the short term. But then he wants a spiritual blessings and perfect relationship with God for eternity, which are pleasures and joy forevermore. Thanks for listening to the message. I hope you have found this helpful. If you have any questions, please email the gospel revealed Podcast at gmail.com. That is thegospelrevealedpodcast at gmail.com. Can I also encourage you to please share this podcast, but also subscribe to it. As a result, more people will hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Also to let you know that we've started a new website called thegospelrevealed.com. That is the com. There you'll find gospel-centered articles that will help you grow in your faith. So please check that out and please also subscribe to it. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, bye.